Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Getting on the property ladder has never been easy. But is it now too difficult for young people? They're not blowing all their cash on avocado toast and chai flat whites. They're weathering sky-high rents, chunky mortgage rates, even higher house prices, but with sluggish wage growth. Without relatives kind enough to give you the shortfall you need for a deposit, or die and leave it to you, is being a homeowner just out of reach for too many? And are we left with a furious generation as a result? Cue politicians with pre-election promises. You say you have a plan, Rishi. Do you have a plan to fix the supply crisis in British housing? I want you to experience what I experienced, and that is getting the keys to your first home. I'm going to be honest, I don't have an overnight fix. It's become trickier, but what can we do? Well, we need to build more homes. A future must be built. That is the responsibility of serious government. And if we continually wash our hands of this task, we all end up in a rut, just like now. So it's time to get Britain building again. What is at stake? And is a solution on the horizon? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, is there any hope for generation rent? I'm Lily Russell-Jones and I'm a senior money reporter for The Times and The Sunday Times. Lily, you are a renter, is that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, whereabouts? I rent in Finsbury Park. So that's North West London? Yes, exactly. And how are you finding it? Well, it's been an interesting time. I moved out of London during lockdown and then I had to move back to the capital and at that point there wasn't much competition for rental properties so Mm. it was around March 2021 and we actually got a big discount on the price it was me and five friends I think they took off about a thousand pounds a month which was brilliant Mm. and then the context was completely different when me and my boyfriend tried to move in together in October 2022 Mm. we moved into our own place for the first time we're renting a two-bedroom flat and the competition just astounded me. I'd never really seen anything like it. In what way? Well, I quickly found out that the asking price that they advertise for properties is not actually an asking price. It's more like a floor price. And then everybody bids on top of that. We had to write a personal statement. We were going to viewings kind of in the middle of the day, like running across London, having to leave work and leave the office so that we could get to properties on time. And then by the time you got there, they might be gone. In the end, we did actually find somewhere that we really liked. 
So all the price advertised is £1,900 a month and we offered £2,000 a month for a one-bedroom flat which has an office which doubles up as like a second small spare bedroom. It really was a lot more than we had budgeted to pay, as you can imagine, probably. Um, what did you write in your personal statement? Well, <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. You, you want to sort of tell your landlord that you're a normal person, but not but saying that makes you sound like a normal person yeah. to ever have too many friends around who are going to be loud or anything like that. I said things like, "Oh, I've got friends in the area, and I can really see myself starting a life here. Like, I want to be here for a number of years to come, so you can expect consistent rent from me. This is my job. I'm a journalist. Like, my boyfriend's an accountant. We try and be really good with money. <laughs> that kind of thing, really. So we basically tried to make it sound like we were planning to settle there Mm. um, and that they wouldn't need to look for a tenant again in the near future. Mm. So you're paying £2,000 a month for a one and a half bedroom flat for for you and your partner. How are you finding it? Is it £2,000 worth of flat a month? Well, actually, our rent has gone up to £2,100 because we've now been there for more than a year. But when we moved in, it was a bit of a surprise because of the quality of the accommodation, I would say. So we'd asked on our offer form for it to be professionally cleaned and to have a desk put in and for any mould to be sort of sorted out, but none of that had happened. So we arrived and it was literally, there was grime and cobwebs around the flat. The bathroom ceiling was literally covered in these black stains, which were from mould. We realised that actually there was a mould problem in the main bedroom and there was mould going up on the wall, which we hadn't spotted when we looked around because there was sort of something covering it. And so we hadn't had been able to really check that out. And mm. also we'd only been in there for about five minutes. So we just sort of said yes, because we thought it looked nice. We really needed someone to live. And then a neighbour said to us, oh, didn't the landlord tell you about the mice problem? Oh, God. And I was like, no, no one mentioned that when we looked around, surprisingly. But luckily, we've not seen too much evidence of that. So. You've not seen too much evidence. Yeah, we sometimes hear the scurrying of tiny feet, but... I'm glad that I'm living there. I think we were lucky given the market when we were looking. Mm. And (laughs) you're not just a punter. You have your Time Senior Money Writer hat on and your shtick, your thing is, is the rental market. Yeah, it's one of the areas that I write about a lot. I think it's difficult for absolutely everybody. And when you are trying to find somewhere because there's so much competition, it really does become a full time job. And it's interesting that this is all an entirely known quantity to you because you've been living it, you've been reporting on it for ages, but it slowly crept into the public consciousness, hasn't it? A few months ago on Radio 4, Howard Davis, the chairman of, of NatWest, was interviewed about the state of the economy. And there's an extraordinary exchange where he was asked about how difficult it is to buy a house. When do you think it's going to be easier for people to get on the property ladder in this country? Well, I don't think it's that uh, difficult at the moment, but... To buy a house um, in this country? Well, it's, Are we living it's in the same depend- country? I mean, you Are you reporting have, you from to, overseas? You have to save, uh, be, and, and that's the way it always used to be. What did you make of that? Well, I think that it can be hard for maybe older people to understand what it's like nowadays, but the context really has changed. So if you look at something like the affordability ratio, which is the multiplier of average earnings to property prices, Mm. it's eight times. The average salary is eight times lower than the average price of a house. And in the 1960s, it was more like four times. And even 20 years ago, it was more like five times. So it really has gone up massively. And it's a big change, which 
people in my generation are trying to deal with and come to terms Mm. with. 55% of people born in the 1970s, for example, were homeowners by the time they were 30. For people born in the 1980s, it was 36%. So you can see it's a really sharp decline and it's just sort of carried on that way. Um, So it is much harder now. And I think that there's not much appreciation of that sometimes. And even if you're not buying a house and renting instead, Mm. I guess the extra cost of housing does filter down into the rental price, as as you're finding. Yeah, So that goes up as well. I mean, we've been seeing rental prices go absolutely crazy over the last few years, though the situation seems to be plateauing a bit now. We're not seeing increases that are quite as sharp. It's still going up. Looking at a map of the UK, where's particularly bad for it? It's actually all over. Um, (laughs) Like the bathroom mould. Yes, I think that according to Rightmove, the north of England has seen some of the sharpest increases over the past year, but actually rents are going up everywhere. And there are now 9.4 applicants for every available property in the UK. So it's not just a London problem. In fact, in London, it's about six sort of applicants per property. It's literally everywhere. Right move says rents outside London are up 9 or 10% in just the last year, but inside London, it's up as much as 40% in some parts. So with that in mind, we thought we'd take a field trip to the business end of the problem, the part of London that leads the pack rent-wise. It's not a place most people could afford, but what happens here will knock on right through the market. We are away from Times Towers. We are in South South London in East Dulwich. And I thought I'd never been here before, but it's slowly all coming back to me now. There's a wine bar just down to my right. There's a big pub. There's a high street full of shops like locksmiths. Quite a sort of pretty looking part of South London. Lily, why are we here? Why have you dragged me here? We are here because it's the area of London which has seen rents increase by the largest amount over the past year. So rents here are up 39% for rooms. So you could get a room in East Dulwich for £702 a month at the end of 2022. It now costs about £975 according to Spare Room. Ouch. Okay, well, let's go and have a look. Lily, we're in the middle of East Dulwich now. We're nosing through an estate agent's window for your Kirsty and Phil moment. Um, Take us through what prices, what what properties are jumping out at you. So there's a house here, or flat, that's £2,990 per month. For that, you get two spacious double bedrooms, but still only two bedrooms. There's no garden that I can see. I don't think it offers parking. And they say there's ample storage but it really doesn't look like much. There's a combined kitchen and living room. So really you're getting three rooms and I think two bathrooms as well. Spacious double, it does insist though. What about this one up here? 2,950. Again, it seems like if you're a family, you'll be paying all of that. But if you're what, three people sharing, it all seems to be working out at about around a grand each, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. That is what the average room rent is supposed to be around here. And I think it's living up to that from what we can see from the properties. Lily, we're in what seems like the 
the sort of beating heart, I'm going to call it, of, of Dulwich now. How does it look to you? I mean, it, reasonably busy, nice load of shops. Yeah, I mean, there's a high street, there are plants being sold by the side of the road, there are estate agents, there's nice pubs on the corner. It looks like a vibrant place to live, but it's nothing special. Yeah, Sweaty Betty, there's a Franco Manca, I mean, sort of proper middle-class mid-range, I'd say. Is that harsh? No, it's not harsh. I think this is somewhere you could imagine having kids, if you're a family, this would be a nice place for them to grow up. But at the same time, it's not what you imagine as being like a really, really high-end part of London, like Canary Wharf or Mayfair, where you're going to be paying kind of top prices for property. How long have you lived around these parts? 14 years. 14? Yes. Gosh, OK. And you're a renter. What is your, what's your current rent a month? 1,800. 1,800. And what do you get for that? Two bedroom flat. And I mean, to my mind, that seems quite steep. What, what do you think? Yeah, it's very steep. The yeah. price has been going up crazy. How, how crazy? Um, I mean, in the last three years, it went up from one and a half to 1.8. Gotcha. So it's a lot. And was that quite a struggle to find that extra cash? Yeah, yeah. Mm. For family, yeah. It's a lot of cash, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, how much of your earnings now do you think you're paying on just living we we just at the edge so if it goes up again we have to move out i mean do you think it will go up again yeah i think so i think so lily we're outside another estate agent's window what are you seeing in terms of prices and flats one thing that's jumped out at me is a property for £2,999 a month so about £1,000 each because it's three bedrooms and it's unfurnished so on top of the price of rent you're also looking at having to buy all of your own furniture there's one bathroom shared between everyone in the house and one living room which doesn't look massive so it's definitely a small flat unfurnished and you're still going to be paying absolutely kind of top prices for it what kind of an area is this how do you characterize it uh, I'd say it's pretty middle class as an area. Before I lived in Peckham, a little bit different from Peckham, but I like to be in between, yeah, get a yeah. mixture of both people then. Yeah. Do you want me asking how old are you? I'm 29. Got you. And you're a renter? Yeah. Um, how much are you paying? I'm paying £800 a month. Shared between me, my partner and my friend. We all live together. Got you. So that said two bed? Two beds. Do you know what the sort of overall cost then is roughly a month? 2.7. 2,700 a month for yeah. a two-bed flat. Yeah. For all their usual confidence and eagerness, it actually proved surprisingly difficult to find an estate agent who talked to us on microphone. But we managed to finally convince one. I think it's hard at the moment because there's a lot of people looking for property here in London. But now more than ever, there's not enough houses to cater for the amount of people that are looking to live here. The rent prices are rising because of that. Landlords can charge what they want now because mm. actually, who's, who else is saying no? If you say no, go somewhere else. It's not much cheaper anyway. So I think there's a bit of a, a struggle in that sense. Yeah. And you say prices are going up. Lily, am I right in saying that it's gone up the most here yeah. out of anywhere in London. So in Dulwich it's gone up by 40% over the past year which is the highest for any postcode in London and we're kind of interested in why that might be the case. Yeah, do you think there's anything specifically about here why that's the case? I think people want a nicer place to live now. I think after lockdown, I think it proved to us that if you're renting especially, it needs to feel like a home. Uh, people are working from home now. 
Um, but then, yeah, because of that, people can charge what they want, really. What kind of desperation, if we can characterise it like that, have you seen from some people trying to secure a place? I mean, overbidding, fighting, I mean, I don't know, what does it get to? Yeah, well, I also read it in London myself, so I've been a, a part of that on both ends, and I think it's a, a over-asking price, it's being fast on the trigger with your phone to answer those phone calls. It's like a full-time job to try and find a place, but I've been renting in London for 10 years, um, and now more than ever I'm paying way over what I should be paying for what is ultimately a room with a bathroom. Some people are writing like personal statements now to sort of explain why they should get this flat and it would be perfect for them. I mean, is that the case? And that's going on as well, the sort of emotional side. Yeah, I've seen that happen. Yeah, I've heard that happen to my friends as well. I'm going to start doing it. I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to join a wave like a job interview, like an online dating profile, but for renting. As a landlord, you want nice people, right, in your property. Mm-hmm. You want to know they're not going to trash it. They're going to pay the rent on time. So if you're respectable and you've got a good job and you can present well, like you would do on a dating profile, if, if that beats out five or ten people in the competition, it's going to do good for me in the future. I hope. Are we at some kind of breaking point, do you think, or approaching it? Because surely this can't go on and on, prices going up with wages not keeping up the pace. I don't see an end to it, if I'm honest with you. It's been rising for the last 10 years. Landlords will charge what they want. It's overpopulated. People need places to live. I think, yeah, not for another five years at least. Have we seen the behaviour of landlords change over the past few years as these price rises have gone up? I don't think so. I think they have hearts too, I'd like to think anyway. But I think in, in regards to the per calendar month, they are demanding higher because they know that they can. Coming up, how much worse could it get? Especially when you look at the mayhem in the rental market. And how serious a political issue could this become in the run-up to this year's general election? That's in a moment. This weekend, if you're a Time subscriber, you can catch the latest episode of Inside the Newsroom, our look at life here at the Times. It's our new behind-the-scenes series on Apple Podcasts, just for subscribers, on the Stories of Our Times feed. If you want to find out more, visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash bonus podcasts. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Lily, you were telling us a moment ago about how this issue with high rental prices is one that we see all over the UK to, to a certain degree. But does it particularly affect the young? Yes, there are more young people who are renters, but actually people are going to be renting later and later in this generation as house prices become more unaffordable. So the average age of a first-time buyer has gone up to around 34 years old, and it used to be more like 31. So we can see over time that that is becoming harder and harder for people to achieve. And is it, sort of cliche phrase, a, a vicious cycle? I mean, if you're stuck renting, does it make you less able to buy? Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I mean, personally, I spend about 60% of my income every month on renting and bills. Mm. And that would be very, very different for somebody who grew up, say, in the 1970s. It's just a different context. And why are rents going up so steeply recently. I take your point that there's been a broad trend over a few decades, but it's Mm. been particularly harsh recently. Why is that? I think there's been increased competition for properties. People moved out during the COVID-19 pandemic and then they tried to move back in at around the same time afterwards. And we had sort of a year where we didn't have international students coming from abroad, for example, People weren't starting their grad jobs in person and then everybody tried to come back into the cities at the same time. One thing is rising interest rates, which could be factoring into this. So the average two-year buy-to-let mortgage was 2.96% two years ago, but now it's gone up to 5.49%. So that's a huge increase, which is being passed on to renters in some cases. But I also think that because of increased competition, even landlords who don't have a mortgage on a property would still be looking to raise rents because they can. Mm. What do we make of the role of landlords in all of this? (laughs) I mean, I think there's a real variation in how landlords would approach it. But I think that You know, in some cases, landlords themselves are in a really tricky situation because they feel under pressure financially. They might have this flat as a source of their income and the margins are really, really squeezed because of taxation, but also because of interest rates rising. Hmm. They might be concerned themselves. We know that the number of buy-to-let landlords who are in arrears for their mortgage has doubled over the past year. But at the same time, I think I would like landlords to think about who's on the other side of the equation because renters really don't have any power over their housing situation because the rents can go up and they can be kicked out and they can't really complain about the quality of accommodation. There's loads of competition. So you can understand why the temptation would be to raise rents. But that leaves us in a really difficult position. But but is your point that it's not like (laughs) these landlords are a load of piss takers on the make? I think some maybe are doing this out of greed because they can. And I think that that does have implications for their tenants, which they could do with thinking about. But I do think in some cases, yes, probably there are legitimate reasons why they're having to raise the rents and they Mm. don't feel like they have a choice. So if it's a problem with renting, and in the past the solution has been buy a place, but that is not as easy these days, what help is there actually for people to try and get on the property ladder? Some mortgage lenders have come out with 100% mortgages, 
that can be an option for people because one of the hardest barriers to buying a house is actually raising enough money for a deposit. Mm. So it takes that out of the equation. We saw the end of the help to buy scheme recently where you could get a sort of interest-free loan for a number of years from the government for the value of one-fifth of your property. That's now closed, so it will be interesting to see what support comes in to replace it. What are the risks with that kind of scheme, though, that's 100% mortgages? The risk is that you get dragged into something which becomes unaffordable, and I suppose the implication is that you might have to pay a higher interest rate because Mm. the higher sort of deposit you can give, the lower the interest rate on your mortgage tends to be. Not everyone is a fan of these, including money-saving expert Martin Lewis, as he explained on Times Radio recently. Put in a 1% mortgage, which gives you a huge risk of negative equity, and almost certainly the the mortgage lenders, unless the government subsidises very heavily, will charge them much higher interest rates for doing so Mm. than if they had a bigger deposit. We seem to potentially, depending on how this structured risk moving back to the bad old days of simply for electoral gain, pumping the housing market in a self-defeating way that enables and seems to encourage people to risk all their finances just to get on the property ladder. So if you don't want to get involved with that, the only other option is help from your parents, wealthy, dead, relative. This is a huge, huge factor. The bank of mum and dad is becoming increasingly important for people's property buying dreams. I think the estate agent Savills expects sort of 63% of first-time buyers to get help this year. And it's honestly over £10 billion that first-time buyers get from their family and friends every year. So if you're in a position to borrow money from your friends and family, or you have an inheritance coming, that is a big way that people are managing to get on the property ladder. And if you don't? Yeah, if you don't, then you will find it a lot harder. And that's another way that kind of inequality is coming into the picture here. Yeah. The question in an election year is how the political classes react to this. We had Michael Gove, the levelling up secretary, out and about the other day, saying that he sees this as a risk to democracy. The principal concern is about uh, people's faith in free markets and people's support for our political system overall. And that is why we have a responsibility to do more. If you have a generation of young people unable to get on in life, get on the property ladder, improve their circumstances, they might turn to something radical to try and sort their situation. Do you see that happening? I thought that he overstated it slightly. Mm. I think that the risk for people who aren't homeowners and don't feel as connected to the system, basically, or don't feel like they're getting as much support from their government as they should, is disenfranchisement. I think that's the real risk here, that people feel apathetic or they feel disengaged from the political system. The Resolution Foundation, which is a think tank, has looked into how people voted at the last election and they said that home ownership and non-home ownership was a really big important factor when it came to voter turnout especially among millennials and there was sort of a 25 percentage point difference between turnout based on whether you owned a home or not one of the risks of people not owning a home is that they just abandon the political Mm. system that's there at the moment but I think it's also a case of feeling like with the Conservative government at the moment, perhaps that they're not looking out for your interests. So why should you engage with that system or feeling like if you think about things, even things like pensions and other policy areas which help young people build wealth, like you can see that they're disadvantaged compared to 
previous generations that went before them. And so that can really make you feel like politics isn't going to help you. Do you see this being a main factor of the election? I definitely think that for young people, this is such a big issue. It really controls a lot of people's lives, especially when you're young and you're renting, you're seeing your income go just on rent and not sort of allowing you to build for the future. And you want to own your own home. Yes, I definitely think that is going to be a key issue for younger voters. Are you seeing any policy offers then from either side, Tories and and, and Labour, um, to try and woo this electorate? The government has said that its target is to deliver 300,000 new homes a year and that it's been investing £11.5 into building new homes. We've recently seen Gove saying that he thinks that more houses should be built on brownfield land. So he's putting some pressure on councils to push ahead with that. So I think there's definitely a recognition of the need for more housing. Labour's promise on this is similar. They want to build 1.5 million new homes within five years of a new Labour government, which again works out at 300,000 a year. But we know that these targets are notoriously difficult for the parties to actually meet. And on the renting side, we've seen the sort of hokey-cokey of of whether we're going to ban no-fault evictions. I mean, where are we with that? We're still waiting for this renters' reform bill, which they've talked about. We're also waiting for reforms to the leasehold system, which means that people who own on leasehold have less rights than those who own a property that's a freehold and own that outright. So... I think that we're still waiting on a lot of promises from Mm. the government to fix this system. Looking ahead, I mean, are you feeling optimistic about this? Do you feel like it's it's an issue that's punched through and politicians will start legislating and, and promising about? Or is it one that will just get worse and worse for a bit longer at least? I don't see the rents going down anytime soon, let's put it that way. I think they will continue to increase and that's going to come with its own set of problems. If you look historically at the way that rents have changed, it has only been going in one direction. So I think it would take rental caps, which I don't think the Conservatives are proposing. And what about you? What's what's your plan looking ahead? (laughs) Um, Well, I'm trying to save at the moment. Me and my partner are saving up. And hopefully in the future, we will be able to buy somewhere. I'm not expecting it to happen in the next couple of years, but over the long term, I hope it will be achievable for me and I'm going to try and get there. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Luke Jones, and my guest, Times and Sunday Times senior money writer, Lily Russell-Jones. You can find all of Lily's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Chris Wade, the executive producer was James Shield, and sound design was by Mal Aceto. Stories of our times at thetimes.co.uk if you want to reach us on email. Maybe you've housing woes of your own or a comment or even a suggestion of something we should be doing on the podcast. Let us know. Goodbye. <laughs>